In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, here we find ourselves at the end of Paul's introduction to his letter to the church at Ephesus. As we've covered in previous weeks, it's a typical Paul introduction. And here we can see how he introduces topics that he'll cover later, such as uh, predestination, salvation, and the unity of the church. You see, Paul was writing this letter to the Ephesians to help them understand a few different aspects that they were just missing. Let's say, and one of the main issues that he was talking about was how to reconcile differences between the Jews and the Gentiles. I mean, they were all new to Christianity. And if you kind of look at their backgrounds, you can see why they would butt heads. If you were from a Jewish background, you had so many rules to follow. You had Torah observance. You had food regulations, uh, and just the generally religious way of life that you had to lead to be a good, you know, a good believer. On the opposite side, though, you had your Gentiles, who didn't have those rules. They were coming from any sort of background. So I mean, you can see where why they would butt heads. It's like putting two completely different families in one house and saying, "All right, make nice, like just get along." I mean you're going to have issues. So if we look at uh, verse 11 and 12, we can see where Paul's addressing this. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. So right off the bat, uh, he uses statements that puts all people in the same family, uh, regardless of whatever their background is. He's using the blanket statements of we and our and inheritance to allude that all believers are chosen by God and are adopted into that same family. He's saying that we're all co-heirs of Christ for the inheritance that is planned for us. Which, by the way, we all know what this inheritance is. I mean, we have the whole story in front of us. It's our eternal life given to us through Christ's death. And we know this in the same way that the Ephesians knew this. It's through the gospel message. You see, the gospel truth hasn't changed. It's the same what the Ephesians learned. It's the same thing that we study today. It's the same thing that we're teaching our kids. We're teaching them that Jesus died for you, for me, and took away all of our sins so that we could have an eternal life in heaven with God the Father. And it's the point that the gospel is the same for the Ephesians as it is for us, that we can look at these letters and we can trust them. There may be, you know, different translations of the Bible. Now you have your ESV, your NIV, you have the literal translations, you have the message, but the gospel is the same. And that's where we can find our truth. 
And that's why these letters still apply to us. So reading through, like this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, it's in our Bible. He wrote it to the Ephesians, but he wrote it for us. So if you kind of take a second to notice the difference in that, like the Bible was written for us. It was written for all believers. But each individual letter was written to a specific group, to a specific church. Lost myself in my notes, sorry. (laughs) So these scriptures, they're just as applicable 2,000 years ago as they are today. And we can use them to guide us through struggles that real Christians had dealt with, that real Christians deal with today. So like our context, it might not be, you know, differences in Jews and Gentiles. But what is our context? What's the difference in our life? It can be, you know, it can be Democrats and Republicans coming together. It can be Aggies and Longhorn fans. Um, It can even be Baptists and Presbyterians coming together. We're all children of the same God. And so what I believe that Paul's hinting at in the language here is the unity of that body that the body of Christ brings to all believers. Uh, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul preaches a lot on the unity of the church and how we're all one in the Spirit. And that's something that we can take home today. So to finish out verses 11 and 12, we can see that Paul touches on the eternal plan of God and how that plan unfolds. The gospel message was always meant to spread from Paul and the apostles to the rest of the world. And here we have Paul telling the church that everything is predestined according to the will of the Father and that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And so what he's saying here, it reinforces the Great Commission in Matthew. You know, I'd say, spread my word to the ends of the earth, go and make disciples following me. I'd say, that is necessary. The spread of the gospel is necessary so that ultimately all who are chosen to believe will follow the Lord. If we move on to verses 13 and 14, uh, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here, Paul continues using Paul continues using that family language that we talked about a second ago um, that connects all believers. He mentions our inheritance again, and it says that we're guaranteed it through the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the Holy Spirit is a big topic that Paul writes about in all of his letters. Not just this one to the Ephesians, but to the churches in Asia, to Galatia, to Corinth, and even when he writes to Titus and Timothy. Paul is really big on the power of the Holy Spirit and how it works in all believers. So Paul's saying in verse 13 that when you first believed, when you first heard the gospel truth, the Spirit came to live in your heart. It started changing your life. 
Paul says that when the Spirit comes into your heart, you're sealed to the Lord. And this sealing, it confirms both your introduction to the faith and it guarantees that inheritance that was given through Christ. When we're sealed by the Spirit, the living God is in us and is constantly with us. The Lord has marked us as his creation and as his people. So just take a second to think about that. Even here in my notes, I put really big pause. Because <laughs> I want to take a second to stop and think about that. I want that to sink in. How the creator of all, the one who sacrificed his only son for you, for me, the one who planned all of this from the very beginning was according to his will. That God that created me, created Abby, created everybody in the back, created people in Ukraine. That God is in your heart. He's in it guarding your heart, and he's in it directing it towards him. He promised an eternity with him the second that you first believed. It wasn't, you know, you didn't tiptoe into it. You didn't ease into it. No, it was that second that you first believed, that you were guaranteed that eternity with him. And how can you not appreciate that? How can you not praise his glory for that? How can that not just kind of tug at your heartstrings? But as we move to finish these verses, what Paul's concluding in his opening of this letter is that the presence of the Holy Spirit among us, it's the verification of our eternal life. Paul's telling the readers that the inheritance that Jesus gave us through his death, it's guaranteed us, and we're already receiving a small portion of it through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Lord's Spirit, it's in our lives. It's in our hearts. And it ushers in what people actually call the already and not yet eschatology. Uh, The Lord is with us currently. He's in our hearts. He's working in our lives every day. Um, But he's not fully realized like the end of time. Um, So that's not for me to talk about here and now. That's for a different sermon. But I just wanted to hit on it that the God that is going to, the God that's in heaven, the God that's going to take us to him, that wants that closeness, is here with us now. So to put all this in a different way, what Paul's talking about in verse 14, it's kind of like making a reservation at a restaurant. I mean, you call ahead, you get your table for the evening, right? It's in black and white on their books that you're coming, that a table's going to be ready for you at a certain time, right? Paul says the presence of the Spirit with us is a guarantee of our place in heaven. It's our reservation at that table. The heavenly hostess, you know, put your name on the books the second that you believed. It's the second that you accepted Christ into your heart. And if we want to keep moving on with this, you know, dinner metaphor, this uh, restaurant metaphor, because, you know, who doesn't like to eat? I'm going to get us out of here perfectly on time for lunch, I swear. (laughs) Uh, I'd say the presence of the Spirit in our hearts, it's also kind of like the appetizer. 
I mean, your boy likes to eat. But <laughs> uh, so the appetizer for your meal, it's just a little precursor for the main dish, right? It's there to, you know, it's there to get you even more hungry. It's there to enhance that main dish, right? And that's what the Spirit does. It's there to give you a taste of what God has for you, that closeness that he wants for you in the end. It's the closeness that the Father has graciously given to us through his Son's death. Not through our own works, but through Christ's only. So, what does this mean for us? Good question. This means we can live with the confidence that the Lord is with us wherever we go. That he's in your hearts, leading you towards him. This means you can live with the confidence to go out there and be guided by the Spirit, who is the one true God. You can have the confidence to pray for one another. You can have the confidence to get up here and give a sermon for the second time in your life. (laughs) You have that confidence to go where the Spirit is leading you, where you feel called. And ultimately, all you have to do is listen. So I know I went through that extremely fast. Believe me, I've practiced this a million times. (laughs) And I've been trying to slow myself down. But hey, at least we get out here on time for lunch. (laughs) Um, I want to thank y'all just for this opportunity to get up here and... I mean, this is what I feel like I'm called to do. This is where I feel the Spirit leading me. Maybe not here at Westminster, who knows, but I still want to thank y'all for your time. So I'd like to close out the sermon in just another word of prayer. If you'll bow your heads with me. Dear God, we come to you today just hopeful, hopeful that something that I said was able to land in someone's heart, that through my quick and jumbled words, that whatever you intended for someone to hear, that they heard. Dear Lord, we ask for that confidence that that reassurance, knowing that you're here in our hearts, that you're working in our lives every day, that you're here for us, calling us towards you, that it's not through any of our actions, but it's through Christ's death and his resurrection on the cross, his resurrection, that ultimately we will have that paradise with you. Dear Lord, we open our hearts to whatever you have to say to us, that we can have that confidence to follow you. And we have the confidence to listen to that call as well. In Jesus' name, amen.